Turn Up The Talk podcast, tackling mental health together. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Paddy and Lockie. And guys, a very, very special guest today. He's a gold medalist at the Commonwealth Games. He's a bronze medalist at the most recent Olympic Games. He's only 24 years of age and has achieved all this on top of the Australian Lightweight Boxing Championship. Before we get into that, guys, we're going to have a little tup fundraiser for those of you who were there at the comedy night. Thank you. And it was an amazing night. We will release a little video soon with the Inspired Boys, with Will Gibb and all the other amazing comics and, of course, the beautiful Clavelli Hotel. So thank you, guys. We're going to have another fundraiser at the Chloe, which is going to be some trivia. So if you like trivia, guys, keep an eye out. It is going to be later in July, either the 26th or the 28th, I believe, and then we'll, we'll stick around and watch the footy after. So if you are keen, keep an eye out, guys. But for now, let's get to the episode. Harry Garside, welcome to Turn Up The Talk, mate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, boys. How you going? What's been going on? Not much. I was uh, I just come straight from training this morning, so... Um, the last sort of the few days I've just been back in fight camp, so feeling good. Body's nice and tender, but I'm feeling good. You haven't got a fight scheduled. Obviously, you were talking off air about your knuckles. What's going on there? Yeah, so I, I've just the the difference between professional and amateur amateur. So professional gloves are a lot smaller, and amateur gloves are like clouds. So um, just getting used to the professional gloves. And I've had three fights as a professional now, and each fight my hands are pulled up pretty sore. So um, yeah, the doctor did. I didn't need surgery, thank God. But um, yeah, just just needed a bit of rest, bit of tender love and care. So I've just been <laughs> resting in the, la- the last few weeks. What did training look like this morning? So you get up, what time are you getting up? So I was up at 6.30 this morning. Um, I was training at E-Lab uh, in, in Waverley. So yeah, shout out to Whip it. Shout out to Whip, <laughs> yeah. So I was training with Trenton this morning. So Trent and Whip uh, owned that place. And um, yeah, it was like, it's like strength and conditioning, but it's like power. It's it's such good stuff. So anyone who wants to have a look, check out E-Lab or check out my Instagram. There's plenty of stuff on there. You start boxing at nine years old. All right, we go back in time, nine-year-old, I come up to you, you're 24, so eight-year-old me, hit puberty a bit early, obviously, the, the <laughs> voice is still deep, and I tell you, you're going to be Australian lightweight champion. What would you say to me? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I I feel back then, I, I was losing at everything, so I truly, I wasn't sure if I was good enough at, at boxing, and I think the reason as to why I started boxing was because... Um, because I felt different to my two older brothers and I, and I wanted to be a man. I wanted to be a man, quote, quote, unquote. Um, so I started boxing to sort of gain their respect and I definitely didn't start boxing with the hope to, to go to the Olympic Games, represent Australia on numerous occasions and, and now become professional Australian champion and, and, and soon to be world champion. So I never thought that would have happened, but, um, you know, once I started the sport, I absolutely loved the feeling of it. So success is just a bonus to that. So obviously we start. As Paddy said, nine years old. Tell us about your childhood. What was what was growing up like for you? Yeah, I had a really good childhood. Like I'm the type of person I've I've seen psychologists for years and, and of course, no matter how good your childhood was or no matter how good your role models were, you're still gonna have some traumatic events. As a young person, your your, your frontal lobe isn't fully formed. So you have a you have a problem before the age of ten. 
you think it's the end of the world. You lose your rock, you think it's the end of the world, don't you? And um, I definitely had a few things in my childhood that have shaped me and made me the man that I am now. And um, But yeah, growing up for me, I had two of the best parents and, and I can't speak highly enough of them. And, and my two older brothers um, were, were amazing too. But it's a weird dynamic being the youngest and the youngest of three boys. It's a weird dynamic because there was a feeling of, I wouldn't say I raised myself, but it was almost like my parents were like, they tried their hardest with my my first brother, the oldest one. They sort of got a little bit more lenient with the middle brother. And then they kind of, it felt like they were just like, oh, just do what you want, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, um, I was like pretty lucky. I, I sort of like got away with murder when I was younger. So um, could do anything. Whereas my oldest brother, he was, you know, he couldn't really do too much. He was like a little bit more strict. So, um, but by the time they got to me, mate, my parents sort of gave up. <laughs> it's funny you say that I'm the youngest of three, but I've got two older sisters. But I distinctly remember when I was young, my older sister was like 14. She wanted to go to late night shopping on a Thursday night. And my parents are, and there's this massive blow up about it. And she's 14, she's crying. And then as soon as I'm that age, same thing, the middle sister kind of broke the barrier for me. And then I was just kind of clear, clear sailing from there on. But so it's funny the way you, you put that in. What's your relationship like with your two older brothers? Yeah, it's, um, it's good. We, as any family, you sort of you have ebbs and flows with, with the relationship. But um, my middle brother Jack, he he's truly the most generous, beautiful human. He's always been my my biggest role model and and sort of like my my protector. He's always yeah. been like that. And any time I've called him when I was younger and been a little little nuisance, I called him so many times at like two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And and no matter where he was, he would always either try and help me or come get me. So um, I can't speak highly enough of him. Uh, me and my oldest brother, Josh, we're, we're quite similar. So um, the things that I don't like within myself, I don't like within him. So we've clashed a lot. Um, but at the same time, of course, because we're so similar, we do get along on some things. But yeah, I think just because there's many things inside myself that I'm trying to navigate, some things that I'm not happy about myself, some things that I'm not proud of um, within myself. And, and I see that in him. So we clash because of that. Yeah. And then He's gone through a few times here. So not long ago, he got out of jail, kind of in and out of jail. Do you think you say you're very similar to him? Do you think you would have gone down the same path if you didn't discover boxing? Yeah. There's, I've, I've thought about this. Me and my partner have been talking about this recently where I've always thought I, I would, absolutely. I, I feel like I'm a little bit more extreme than him. I've just harnessed mine in a different way, um, a more socially accepted, positive way. But we still have negative consequences of me chasing my dreams, but no one really talks about that. Um, but yeah, I I think absolutely. But there has been something inside of me where I don't know if he has that. There's something inside of me where every time I did something wrong when I was younger, my moral compass would tell me that it was wrong. And I still either did it or I didn't, but there was something within me yeah. that when I was younger, when I did something that was a little bit questionable, there was something in, in me saying this is wrong. So I don't know if he has that. So I don't know if I would have got to the extent that he got to. You just mentioned socially acceptable and boxing. <laughs> Talk us through that. So you obviously, you wanted to come out and address at the Olympic, at the Commonwealth Games. Olympics. Olympics, yeah. sorry, like at Tokyo. Um, you painted your nails instead. Why was that and why why are you wanting to break down what is socially acceptable in boxing? Yeah, I feel I'm I, I feel like I'm cut from a little bit of a different cloth. Like I 
I purely do boxing because of the feeling it gives me. I never once thought before the age of nine that I was the kind of runt of the litter. I was the youngest. I was the smallest. I was definitely the one who cried the most. Um, and I just, I think when I started boxing, it sort of made me feel like a bit more of a man. That's the reason as to why I started it. But I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm like the normal stereotypical boxer. And I do the, I purely do boxing because of the feeling it gives me. And, and, to have a platform now where before the Olympics, no one really cared about what I did with my life. No one cares, but now <laughs> people care. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just want to try my best to, to utilize my, my platform for any more so young people. And, and of course, if, if, if an older person can get inspired by it, then absolutely. But I think they're harder to, harder to break. But if a young person sees a boxer who wears TNs, who's got tattoos, who also shows you know, empathetic, feminine, wears nail polish, does ballet, like if if a young person can see that, and I hope that I'm showing them that they can truly do and be whatever they want to be, like as long as you mean they're not hurting anyone else, you don't even have to explain why you like something. You mean people might ask questions, you don't even have to explain it, and as long as it feels right to them, and as long as it feels right to 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 what to their inner being, then that that's really all that matters, and that's all I'm trying to showcase. And and I'm just slowly but surely discovering more about myself and what I like, and and not playing this mold that a stereotypical boxer has to do. You have to trash talk, or you have to, you mean hate your opponents, or you mean like you don't have to do any of that. It's all it's all horseshit. <laughs> you speak about when you were younger, you you were kind of had a false identity in a way. You kind of would perceive an image of what you wanted people to see you as, and deep down, it wasn't truly yourself. Do you wish you had someone like yourself to look up to? Is that a reason why you do what you do now? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had really good role models. Of course, there was some negative role models growing up. But yeah, absolutely. I, I was fortunate that the Reach Foundation entered my life when I was 16. And that was an organization that really is, is all about just people realizing their true authentic self. And through the journey of being 15, 16, going through a few years of, of that organization, I was slowly but surely discovering more about myself. And absolutely, I think post-boxing um, or maybe even by the end of boxing, my boxing career, I hope to have something in the youth um, yeah. youth world for sure. Because I, I just, I feel like, any young, any generation goes through their own stuff, but the younger generation right now is navigating social media, digesting thousands and thousands of things a day on their phones. Um, not the natural things that we all went through when we were younger, even though we might not have phones, like things yeah. like, like social, you have to kind of fit a role. You don't want to be an outcast. You don't want to be bullied. Um, they're navigating so much. I think the young, younger generation, I just want to try my best to help and assist them. Interesting now when you're 24, you're already thinking about what you're going to do when you retire. And I think a lot of sports people struggle with that. And you say a lot of people spiral into depression, things like that. Why is that important for you? Does that give you a, is it something that gives you an identity outside of boxing? Why are you thinking about now, that now when most people in the prime or getting to the prime of their career are sort of thinking about only what they're doing? Yeah, I've I've navigated this a bit because I, I lived my whole life up until the age of probably 22. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a, has a quote, don't have a plan B, it takes away your focus from plan A. And I don't think this is a plan B at all. I just think it's, I'm not going to be boxing when I'm 40. I mean, I don't plan to be boxing after 35. So um, yeah, you've got to be thinking about that stuff. And I'm a big one as well. Like I want to have kids one day and, and I want to make sure that they're getting the best version of me. And the re the way that they get the best version of me is to make sure boxing doesn't take away from my ability to think, be, or live. 
And also as well to make sure I have meaning and purpose outside of boxing. That's a massive thing for a human is to have meaning and purpose. And boxing has given me that for, for 15, 16 years now. And I need to have something um, that gives me that in order so I show up as a good dad and a good partner and a good son to my family as well. You're speaking of the outreach program and you've done some things with them where I think it's once a month you do something and get out of your comfort zone. Tell us a bit about that. What what things have you done? And I think I've got a little inside scoop of one that you do want to you, you do want to try out. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about this one first. What what have you done before that's kind of getting out of your comfort zone for you? Uh, so I, I've done I've done heaps. I've been doing that for uh, three and a half years, um, and I've done this this month just gone. I went to a church service, so I'm a bit of an atheist. Um, what I do last month's window washing, had some hard conversations, 50 hours, no talking, uh, 13 hours straight on a stationary bike, done some like, re- they're all different and versatile yeah. as well. And some are harder than others, but the, the ability to push yourself, cause I feel naturally as humans, we we're especially the Western world, we're in this world right now and we're so comfortable. We don't, if we don't need to, we won't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations because we're survival beings and yeah. we don't need to waste energy. And I just feel like the only way you discover more about yourself and about the world is to put yourself in those situations. So, um, yeah, to see my transformation in, in three and a half years from doing those challenges, like I'm, I'm so grateful I started it. Was there one definitive one where you go, that was the hardest one out of those challenges? Oh. The 13 hours straight in a stationary bike, it was post-Olympics. Uh, I was in quarantine. That was that was pretty challenging. Yeah. Um, and I really underestimated how hard it was going to be. Yes, of course, I was fit post-Olympics, but I hadn't probably for about a month or five weeks, I hadn't been on a bike. So like, just my muscles <laughs> yeah. weren't like weren't ready <laughs> for it. And yeah. um, 50 hours, no talking was challenging. But I think for me and and – it's probably the hard conversations, whether that be with my dad or whether that be with um, my family or whether that be with ex-partners. They're probably the hardest one. And I think yeah. for males, um, that's a bit of a, um, a generalization, but for males, it, it's really it's really challenging for us to to have those deep and hard conversations. Um, we usually like to avoid them. I've, that's what yeah, I found definitely, anyway. Definitely. So any truth to the rumor that stand-up comedy is on, your, <laughs> on the horizon? Absolutely. It's on the horizon. I've actually been in talks with um, me and my partner went to the Sydney Comedy Festival on, on Friday night and I saw a comedian there and she was lovely. Uh, I don't know her name, but she said, you should come down to the Clove Valley Hotel and that's what I they're just, doing. Uh, I was just about to say, um, <laughs> we've got you in there, mate. We can So the guy, Will, who hosts it, he, um, he's been a guest on our podcast a few times, a good friend of ours. I think he might have reached out to you on Instagram. Oh, has so he? Yeah, he, okay. I think I he reached out look. the other day when I was with him. And uh, the Chloe Hotel are big sponsors of ours. So, yeah, Tuesday night, mate, let's set it up. Let's get you down there and doing it. Absolutely. And I said that to my partner in the next month or two. I'm, that's definitely going to be one of the next ones. I reckon that'll be personally one of the hardest. I was just about to say, is, be, it, is that something you've wanted to do growing up or you just want to challenge yourself? Because that, to me, is so scary. Yeah. Stand up. The thought of that is generally scary. But I think you actually have to have like good like, good content. Yeah, that's um, thing, yeah. But yeah, it'd be quite challenging. But I think you'd have to actually do a bit of rehearsal, like, like a month or two oh, of like, like getting yeah. your jokes and like, what am I actually going to talk about? Because I don't know if you can have a phone on there or not, but like, if you just got to kind of think yeah, of your jokes. Yeah, I'd be like taking that, a little um, palm card for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I was you, I'd be doing it. Or well, we can stand up the bat with a big sign behind everyone. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> That Jack Steele guy did it on yeah. last Tuesday. I saw that. He's actually we funny there. though. He's funny. Yeah, he, he, uh, yeah. <laughs> he did well. It I was, think because it was him, it yeah, would yeah. made it yeah. more funny. I think it was, it was just funny, the situation, because he was like so nervous. He was pissed. 
<laughs> like proper pigeons. I don't know if you saw the um the video of him after. So like the video of him walking to his other mate. I don't know what his name is, but when he walked up and that feeling, that elation, you can see it in that yeah. moment. So it's on their Instagram page. That feeling elation, that's what I get when I complete uncomfortable challenges. Yeah. That's I the feeling you get. And it's like for, for humans, it's like, I always say this because I think unless you're a professional dancer, a dance class is one of the hardest things to do because it's like well stand up comedy is also quite challenging but yeah. um but yeah like getting up and and dancing um if you can't dance is quite uncomfortable because everyone feels judgment everyone feels fear in that moment but then that feeling you get when you've completed something it's 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 electric yeah speaking about elation you so everyone watches a fight and i guess you know we're watching it at home everyone's nervous what's that like for you 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 know the walk the announcers introducing you what's those sort of four to five minutes like because it can drag on what's that like are you just focusing on the game plan are you looking to get cues from your opponent what, what's going through your head there's a bit of everything because I feel like it's the most primitive or one of the most primitive areas you can be as a human is, is being in combat. So there's a lot going on. Um, and the more that I do it, the more conscious I get in that moment. But there, you're picking up cues, you're trying. It's interesting. I don't know if every other fighter does this, but you're scared, you're nervous, you're fearful, but you're trying your best to look confident. So there's like a little <laughs> bit of like, and yeah, sometimes, sometimes like before the Olympics, especially like I was swallowing and gulping as if you see your opponent do that you know <laughs> they're really scared and i'm trying my best to do it when i was looking like, like, swallow, like swallowing but it's um there's so much going on in your body you're scared you're fearful um but i've always been that type of person or maybe not actually i've taught myself to do that but to run at fear and that's that's the most beautiful thing is like overcoming that like the person who wants to like run, I've spoken to so many people on my team, the, the amateur team, and they said like they've had thoughts of driving to the venue and they've honestly thought about like, I wish this car drove into a tree. Like that's the that's the thoughts that can come up before a, a fight or before an event. I've never had it that extreme. Oh, actually, no, sorry, I have. Before the first fight at the Olympics, I honestly was like, the thoughts that were coming through my head, I was like, if this – if I, I thought I was going to get knocked out, I thought I was going to be fearful. This is the day before everything was going on in my head. And I'm like, if I don't, if I don't win this, this is, this is the extreme mindset. If I don't win this, like I'm going to, I'm going to jump off this building. That, that's the thoughts that come up in your head. That's how yeah. extreme yeah. it is. That's how like full on it is. But then to still navigate and to still compete and to still perform under those circumstances, I think is quite exceptional for any athlete. A lot of sports now have like a, obviously a mental side. And they do a lot of work in that space. What what's that like for you? What's your training regime? Is that is there a, a lot of time dedicated to sort of meditation or mental rehearsal, imagery stuff like that? I mean, and then that obviously prepares you for those moments you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's probably since the Commonwealth Games. Um, I was only twenty at the time, but since then that was probably the time where I was like, wow, I could actually do something at the Olympics. That's when I truly believed. I was like, wow, okay. This is serious. So then I started honing in on, on meditation, like practicing things, self growth, self improvement, um, listening to more podcasts, more audio books, um, and stuff like that. And Novak Djokovic says that it's like the, the difference between the number one and number 100th, um, ranked in the world. There's no real difference in ability. It's what's 
what's in between your ears. And yeah. I truly believe that too. It, that's what separates athletes. Yes, of course, someone might have a little bit of an ability, but you kind of even each other out, whether he might be more powerful, but you're quicker. You kind of even each other out. And it's what separates is what's between your ears. And um, yeah, I'm just trying my best to, to hone in on truly believing in myself. And I think that was probably the thing that made me lose that fight against the Cuban was I didn't fully believe that I could beat him. And um, yeah, since then, that's been something that I've been trying to hone on. I wake up every morning and say things to myself and I have alarms. That, there could be an alarm going off very shortly. <laughs> um, I have alarms set throughout the day and when they go off, there's there's different alarms, but there's different things I have to do. And um, yeah, it's just like full taking control of your life and, and you mean trying to grow in every situation you can. So you speak about the Commonwealth Games, you're 20 years old. You get gold medal, but the weeks leading up to that and the months leading up to that, you went through a breakup and your brother came out with a serious addiction. They're two massive events in someone's life leading up to the biggest event in your life in the Commonwealth Games. How do you manage that whole build-up? To be completely honest, mate, I ran away from it. Yeah. I ran away from it. Uh, I moved. So this all came out the end of 2017 and on the 1st um, first of January 2018, I moved from Melbourne to Canberra and I lived at the Institute of Sport there. Um, so I ran away from it. Yeah. I avoided it. I ran away from it. Um, and then when I come back, I haven't really spoke to anyone about this, but when I come back, that was like the shittest period of my life or one of the shittest periods. That and probably the start of 2019 was a shit period too. But that was just like, because I ran away from it, I didn't attack it. I just avoided it and then you realize that if you don't really address things, some things go away, but the big things don't. Yeah, they're always going to stay, aren't they? They're always going to stay. And, and and of course, I probably needed to do that in order to achieve things. I couldn't sit in that and, and navigate that in that moment. And I I have given myself a bit of empathy in that because breakups for me, that was my first time, first ever real breakup. And that was, that was so challenging for, for a young man. Like, yeah, um, yeah you, you get so invested in someone and 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 – like I'll be completely honest, I probably caused that breakup. It was my fault, but um, yeah, it still hurt. It wasn't easy, and yeah. Um, yeah, and then to come back and and to 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 try and navigate that, and and to try like while you know that she's kind of moved on, and and yeah, it was it was challenging, man. It's a shit thing, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. kind of not spoken about really mm-hmm. enough. I mean, a lot of, a lot of male emotions and stuff aren't really, but. The things with breakup, especially for males, you know, go out with your mates, go get another chick and you'll be right. That's kind of the way to think about it. But um, I think it's so relatable just speaking to mates and even ourselves. I mean, I went through one about eight months ago and it was the same thing, man, you know what I mean? And you do, you you might go out and you might try to distract yourself. But at the end of the day, when you're laying in bed at night, you you know you're not sweet. And um, like you said, if if you run away from it, it's not going to fix anything. So you come back from that and then you decide to face it head on, I assume. What did that look like? So we actually, we went through like that, the, I call it the toxic cycle where we, we started seeing each other a little bit and then it was like on and off and it was just never going to, it was never going to work. Um, but yeah, that's why I said 20, 2019 for me was probably the hardest period because um, yeah, she she had genuinely moved on. Absolutely. She, um, yeah, it wasn't public, but I, I had a feeling that she was dating someone else and um, yeah, then I finally found out that she was and uh yeah, that was that was like a big punch punch in the face to be honest. But as I said, I caused it. Um, I was just too young, too young, too dumb, um, and just a little bit emotionally stupid to be honest. And um, yeah, and and as well, I truly believe that like I'm I'm madly in love now, and and I'm so happy now. And 
Like I probably wouldn't be in the position I am now if it wasn't for moments like that. That's yeah, reality. Exactly right. yeah, yeah. So you kind of need that. You can't, you kind of need to know what, um, what you do wrong, what you do right and, and trying to sort of really reflect on self and, and, and what did I bring to that relationship that wasn't working and, and what can I do better? And, um, yeah. And, and as I said, the, the position I am now, I'm really happy. And, and me and my partner now, we have a great communication and we, We've like really set a good foundation for for a long lasting relationship. We've only been dating for ten months, but I hope it's I hope it's going to be a real long one. I hope she's the one forever. So, is she a boxing coach? I believe. Yeah. Is, is that how you guys met through the boxing scene? Or yeah. So uh, I coached in Sydney. So I was living in the Gold Coast at the time. Originally from Melbourne, and I coached from uh, Sydney. I followed her Instagram. Was was uploading her, and I was like, oh damn. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, the creep that I am, I slid into her DMs and, um, yeah, she gave me nothing early on and then, um, yeah, fi- mean. yeah <laughs> finally broke. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's derail some male stereotypes. So we've spoken about before a boxer, nail polish, a dress, they don't really go, do they? But you, you're showing that in reality it can go, but stereotypically it can't quotations. Men who don't fight are weak. What would you say to that? Oh, I feel like the world's changing. Um, I've I've thought about this so extensively because there is the element at the end of the day, people forget this. We're animals. Yeah, people like to think that we're not, but we are, and we're survival beings. And 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 absolutely, we we evolve and we progress. And um, um, yeah, I I absolutely don't think violence is the answer, but there is times where absolutely. Yeah, 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 it is, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have like it's probably uh, people probably wouldn't expect me having an opinion like this, but I um, I just yeah, I truly think that we're animals, and the, the reason as to why we're still here, thousands and thousands of years, is when we were animals or more animal-like, is because we've survived and we fought and we got through it, and um, whether that be emotionally, physically. But yeah, we fight and we survive. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, males do fight and I do think females absolutely fight too. They survive. And as I said, it doesn't have to be physical, but we fight and yeah. we survive. And, um, yeah, that's, that's my opinion on it. I, I don't think violence is the answer. I don't think teaching kids to fight is the answer either, but absolutely. I think biting down the mouth guard and gritting when life gets tough oh, because yeah, at the course. end of the day, life, is the thing that will push you down the ground the hardest. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, sometimes fighting with that and gritting with that and learning what resilience is and and hunger and determination to get through moments like that, I think that's where we learn and that's where we survive. You need a six-pack to look good. What would you say to that? Yeah, absolutely not. I think what comes out of your mouth and how you treat people is what makes you look good. And men don't cry. I cry all the time. Yeah, I find it quite. Um, I must admit, though, to be completely honest, I find it quite challenging to do it in front of people. Yeah. Um. So that's something that I'm trying to navigate myself. Um. Yeah, and it's been ingrained in me from a very early age, as I'm sure it is most men. But yeah, I definitely do cry. But yeah, I find it quite challenging to do it in front of people, even someone like my partner. Um. The 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 eyes get watery, but there's very rarely a tear that drops. It's yeah. more by myself. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to navigate. There's a bit of vulnerability in that that I'm holding on to. I reckon, you know, if you were to talk about people's strength, your strength would be being yourself. And I think people would 
find that hard to come up against as an opponent. I don't box, but I'm just <laughs> saying that that might be something because, you know, you're sort of thinking, well, I can't get in this guy's head, you know. He's so sure of himself. He's very respectful. He knows what he's got. Is that a ploy with respect? Is that a ploy to have that strength or is it just who you want to be and where you want to get to? Yeah, as I mentioned at the start of this, uh, with success, like, of course, I'm super ambitious and I have goals and, and aspirations and stuff like that, but I... Success is just a bonus. Like I, I much preferred to understand myself more and and be proud of the person that I see when I stand in front of the mirror, um, rather than like being a good boxer. But it definitely helps. It definitely helps when you're stable and you're secure. And to be completely honest, there, there's something inside of me that I'm trying to. I've been seeing a psychologist for a long time. Like there's things that I did when I was younger um, that I haven't fully let go of. There's things that I did to people. There's things that I said. There's, you know, I mean, there's there's things that I did in relationships, like that I'm not proud of. And um, sometimes I still latch myself to that person, not taking into account the amount of growth that I've done since that, since those moments and stuff like that. And um, yeah, sometimes I, I I think like, geez, imagine if people find out, like, you know I mean, because I still latch myself to that identity. Sometimes it's like, oh, people might find out exactly who I am. So. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to work on like forgiving myself. And I think that's a pretty important thing for humans to do is forgive yourself for the bad shit you've done in your life. Um, yeah, cause I know I'm still holding on to things that I did when I was a teenager. Um, that yeah, realistically I should just let go of, but yeah. it's, it's, it's easier said than done. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really know where I was going with that, but yeah, I just, yeah, I feel like I need to just let go of things that I did in my past rather than latching my identity to to myself as a teenager, knowing that I've done a lot of work since then. Just sort of coming back to your teenage years, I really like how you speak about your relationship with your parents. Um, you talk about seeing the light and seeing the dark as well. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I think any any human, we have that. Um, I'm quite extreme, so I've got very polarizing uh, views about myself and about the world. And um, yeah, my parents, um, two of the most beautiful people, but mum, like the most empathetic, passionate, caring, non-judgmental person I've ever met, but then also the most fiery one probably in our family. <laughs> um so yeah, she compliments herself quite well there. And then dad, um, just a real hardworking Aussie bloke and probably the more emotional one in, out of the two. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's quite emotional, um, compared to my mum and my mum's probably more the, I guess, stereotypical male. She will sort of just carry on with things and, and get through it and, um, doesn't really tell you if she's got a problem where dad will, more likely vocalize his his views and stuff like that and his emotions which is which i'm so blessed that i saw that growing up um yeah so i'm I'm so blessed to have parents that complement each other really well and then also know their flaws and and show their flaws and and navigate their flaws in front of me as well one of your recent fights you're about seven ten days out and you get some bad news about your mum Talk us through that and how hard that was for you, you know, a week out from a fight. Yeah, that was um, like I've never really dealt with cancer before. So mum was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and yeah, like I've never fully dealt with it. Of course, I've known people who have had it, but it's never been this close and it was like the most confronting thing to probably happen to me this year. Um, yeah, and just just living in Sydney now while my mum's based in based in Melbourne, um, I just felt quite, 
I felt quite um, like I couldn't do much. I felt I felt like I couldn't help. I felt like, and then also on that, of course, the initial reaction was was hurtful, painful, emotional. Um, but then also after that, it kind of didn't feel real because I wasn't in Melbourne. I wasn't with her, and then I was like. I felt like I distracted myself um, between then and the fight, so I didn't think about it. And then after the fight, I, f- I went down to Melbourne and um, was able to to be with her and talk to her. And um, yeah, that's um, yeah, I'm grateful that I got to spend a bit of time with her. And it's early stages. Technically, she's cancer free right now, which is great. She got a um, uh, I don't know what it's called vasectomy or whatever it's called. Got the boob chopped off and. Um, yeah, she has to have chemo as an insurance policy. Um, but yeah, she should get through that. No dramas. That's awesome. That's good news, eh? Great news. What about your relationship with your dad? I, I know you mentioned growing up, you always felt a little bit on the outer. Um, and then you, at about 13 or 14, you started to call, as everyone does when you're a kid, you look up to your dad and no matter what he says, it's like God's word. You know, like whatever. He could tell you anything. Tiger's going to win the cop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's played eight Wimbledon finals apparently and won four World Cups and knocked out Mike Tyson. You know, they just talk shit and you believe everything they say. But then at that age, you start to question it all. And then you said that kind of deteriorated your relationship a little bit. And then through the outreach program, you sat down with him at about 16, 17 and had that tough conversation. To me, there is nothing more confronting than having a man-to-man chat about your emotions with my dad that's probably the biggest most confronting thing how was it how did you do it yeah it was um it was quite challenging absolutely uh it's, it's so true some of the stuff my dad's told me when i was younger i like oh <laughs> so i'm just calling cool that i like <laughs> I, I like say things now i'm like hold on a minute that's not right that's, <laughs> that's not right. he's talking shit <laughs> Um, it's not like yeah. you come out and they're just like, I'm just going to wrap, you're wrapping on my finger for <laughs> oh, like 15 yeah, years I'm going to talk so much shit to you. I wonder if we will do that if we have kids. Like, I, oh, I reckon I will for sure. Passed down, I reckon I will for sure. 100%. Um, you literally got someone that doesn't question you. Yeah. It's like your mates you talk to you and they're like, shut up. They're not going to question you. Yeah. So I can't wait to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, for, for me, probably from um, 14 to 18, 19, um, the relationship between me and my dad was, he was quite turmoil. Like we, as, as, as you said before, I questioned him a lot with, with his views about the world and I started getting my own identity. I started thinking my own views and it was interesting because we would have these like full on debates at home that sometimes we get really like, like to, into a screaming match and we'll be talking about some global issue. And and then I'd go to school, so I'd be debating him, and I'd be fully against him, and I'd go to school and I'd use his arguments. <laughs> it's weird that I did that. It's it's very strange. So I was quite confused about what I believed. Um, but yeah, so like from from fourteen to eighteen, nineteen, that was challenging. But um, yeah, I, I one of my first uncomfortable challenges, I wrote him a letter. Um, I just found myself probably about nineteen, just. Just really struggling to come home, especially on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Um, that's the nights where he's the heaviest drinker. And, um, yeah, I just found it like I didn't particularly want to come home on those nights. Um, I was sort of putting it off. I would be sitting at Churnside Shops, which is near my house, and I'll just be sitting there after training and I'll just, you know, be on my phone or, um, just avoiding going home. And, and, and I just watched our relationship slowly but surely start to deteriorate, um, pretty heavily. And, um, yeah, I just wrote him a letter before before his his birthday, and, and I just said, like, I miss my dad, and and I, and I want to fix the relationship. Let's go grab a coffee, and 
um, we went and yeah, had a, had a chat and it was quite interesting because it's almost like we're bickering or fighting about different things because we weren't communicating properly. And, um, yeah, our relationship since that day, of course, yes, of course, we've had ebbs and flows, but our relationship since that day has been really strong. Um, and there's been moments since that day where I've held my dad in space and he's, he's bawled his eyes out in front of me and obviously going through what he's going through with his son who's battling addiction and, um, and then his own stuff with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful the relationship we have now. And it all started just from one conversation and biting the bullet and, and, and having those tough conversations with the people who you love and the people you want in your life. Speaking of tough conversations, I imagine you had a few of them in that 2019 period where you said it was a really bad stage of your life. I assume you're going through some depression with the breakup and everything like that. What steps did you take to get yourself out of that place? Yeah, 20, 2019 was like the start of 2019. I I left home for some stupid reason. I lived out of home for, for it was only for three weeks, but like I was living in like like a mate's place and, and they're always partying and um yeah, that's I was like just running away. I was really spiraling. Um that's when I just found out that the girl who I'd recently broke up with, um, about a year before that, she had moved on and she'd been she's with someone and, and someone who I knew quite well. Um and and my brother and there was a lot going on um in in those moments. Um but for me I think a big thing has always been like a goal just setting a goal yeah. and and I think in those moments just like setting a small achievable one I remember it would just be like all right get up and go for a run and and that's it and then that's a goal you've achieved that the feeling you get when you've achieved it you feel a little bit more positive about yourself and then tomorrow okay let's go for a, a 5k walk and and then also train beautiful achieve that it's just you feel a little bit more positive about yourself and each day you start doing that it starts changing the tone of how you feel about yourself i notice that for myself how i feel about myself and um i do think as well setting a goal sometimes does um you are running away from the problem a little bit but the way that i've sort of justified it in my head is i set a goal i focus so hard on that goal in the process of trying to achieve that goal and then getting to that goal i actually build the capacity when i'm done to then attack the problem yeah and address the problem so um yeah i do think sometimes a bit of time a bit of space um a clear head that's when you can attack something better that's yeah. when you can really address what's how you're feeling about yourself how you're feeling about the world let things go um but yeah sometimes if you're in that real negative headspace it's not the best time to do it yeah. it's almost the worst time well to do the it. goals you're setting a you know, physical activity, which obviously goes hand in hand with your mental health. So it's not like you're setting goals that are going to negatively affect you. Did you get brought into that party lifestyle in those three weeks oh, when you I've, moved out? Absolutely. So I um, like I had the weirdest childhood. So just because I had two older brothers, I was first blackout drunk when I was probably nine and then tried substance for the first time when I was probably 13 and then it escalates slowly but surely. Um. So yeah, I had a real weird childhood in that sense. Um, I kind of lived my early, my late teenage years or twenties in my early teens. Yeah. And, um, yeah, absolutely. I sort of got dragged in, but like I'd threw myself in that. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. it wasn't, I didn't get dragged in. I threw myself in and, um, it was like, it's an, it's a numbing thing. That's all it is. And, and you sort of like, yeah, it, it just never, ever, ever solves the problem ever. 
pushes it, pushes oh, it away it and gets makes it, it worse. worse yeah. So much worse because you feel more and more negative about yourself yeah. in those moments. You don't feel more positive after like a big yeah. weekend. That or, next morning or the next day is yeah. like 10 times what you're feeling the, the Friday night. Yeah, and the head noise is just louder. It's to the max. And um, yeah, I, I, our society right now is is we like glorify drug use we draw we glorify drinking binge drinking as well compared to other countries in europe where they they'll have a red wine with dinner that's not yeah. binge drinking but we're like we're drinking to bob hawks neck and bees the footy <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that we glorify yeah. it and hey i'm guilty I, I i when i party i party i'm extreme i party yeah. hard um but the like times. Times. Yeah, yeah yeah it's it's just like I just I don't know if that's the right thing for a society. Like as a society, it's more about getting. It's it's not about watching the footy. It's about getting the most effed up yeah, watching yeah, yeah. the footy. Yeah, exactly and, you know right. what I mean? And yeah. It's like that's I just don't know if that's the, the right. I don't know what's right or wrong, but like, yeah, I I don't know. And it's something that I feel like I was is ingrained in me early on. Um. You mean the stories of like Ben Cousins, the AFL footy player, that was like glorified in my area. It was like, oh, he's the champion. It's like. Sorry, that guy's not a champion. Yeah, like, he was a gun footy player, but he's battling some serious issues. Yeah, it's, it's sad, really. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, You want to help the man. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't want to glorify him. Like, we kind of want to help him. Um, But yeah, I just think that's something that probably the Australian society, we need to, like, reflect on. Yeah. Yeah, we, what are we showing our young people? Yeah, we always say, obviously, we're we're young as well. We We like to go out. We like to party, but... We always say if you're doing it for the right reasons, you know, so you said you're doing it to mask something there. So we try to encourage, it's not for everyone, but like you said, you're living in Bondi, the Bondi area, drugs and alcohol, it's everywhere you look in Bondi on a Friday and a Saturday. If you're doing it for the right reasons, obviously drugs aren't great, but if you're having a drink here and there because you want to, because you're celebrating something, because you're comfortable in your own skin and you're in a good mindset and you want to go out and enjoy yourself, sure. But if you're doing it to mask something, it's going to be 10 times worse the next morning or, or the next day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. I could not agree more. It's, um, yeah, something that I've personally, obviously having a brother who is, is an addict, but then also seeing a lot of that in myself as well. Um, and there was, there was a period probably, probably 17, 18, 19, where I was like, I was like partying really hard, but then I was also achieving. And then I started thinking there was a story that I was telling myself, like, this is working. Yeah. Never works. It never yeah. works, and I've been, I've been like I haven't touched any anything or like I barely drink. I, I have a red wine with my missus um, sometimes at dinner, but yeah, for for months now, for months, like it's just I feel clearer. I have yeah, clarity. Exactly. Yeah, clarity of mind. Not that I'm like a like a full party animal yeah, or anything yeah, like that, yeah. but it's more like I feel like as well. I'm only 24, 25, but the older you get, you can do that when you're younger. Yeah. And then I have, like, say I have one big night now. Mate, I'm wrecked until Thursday. <laughs> I get hung over three to five days. It's ridiculous. Not, not even kidding. Yeah, so, so I just, like, it's just, like, for me. And then as well, like, I'm grouchy. I'm sort of taking out on people that I love, people who are really close to me in those days. And it's just like, man, it's not worth it. Yeah, it I have some... affect your motivation for training. Absolutely. Yeah, and I just, I just, I feel like I'm so much more clearer, peaceful, happy. It's more of a consistent happiness. Like it's just sitting here, constantly yeah. going. Where I think when it's it's like this, and you're like they're constantly yeah. sort of up and down, up and down. But yeah, I just notice I'm clearer, I'm happier. Um, I can set goal bigger goals, and I can achieve them. And I yeah, I just I, I'm just I f- I feel happier within myself as well. Change in pace, and then we'll go on with some fan questions. 
Um, maybe you not your own fan question. question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> you said you're very ambitious. Uh, you also said success is a bonus. So, I mean, we're just, it's just interesting. I mean, what are you chasing? Are you, along with sort of finding yourself, are you chasing titles? Are there, is it the big fights? What is it for you with put in specific with boxing? So, with boxing, I want to become the best fighter a show has ever produced. So, Cambosis has set the bar kind of of what's possible for an Australian fighter. And um, we've had many other great fighters as well Jeff Fennick, Lana Rose, um, Johnny Famichon. And, and of course, I just want to join that list. And I want to be definitely one of the front runners of that list. And um, yeah, so that, that's my goals and my ambition. And, and as well, outside of boxing, just making sure that. I try my hardest over the next two, three, four years, however long it is, between now and when I become a dad, just learning more about myself so I'm not passing on shit to my, my kids. I want to make sure that, like, you can be a good athlete, you can be a good person, but my biggest goal is to be the best dad like my dad was to me. You speak about the the boxing and in Australia and wanting to be the best, and you mentioned some great names there, the likes of George Cambosis, Tim Zhu, yourself you're kind of leading the way in boxing um i think no limit have a bit of bit to play for that i think they've really put boxing again we're not really big boxing fans but that just from the outside looking in it seems like they've put on a lot of good good productions is it a pretty tight community with with kind of the top boxes in australia do you you chat do you have relationships what's it like i definitely have a relationship with um with like people that I've traveled with in the amateurs and then also the No Limit people, Liam Wilson, Tim Zhu, um, like Gal, obviously. Um, there's the, in the No Limit family of fraternity, there's definitely like a community vibe, which is great. Um, but outside of that, I don't have, to, I've never spoke personally to Cambosis or, um, yeah, people who are with different promoters and stuff like that. But I, I always notice like people can act like a certain way on the exterior. People hated, Chuck Mundine for ages, but I've seen him, met him three times, and he's one of the nicest folks you ever meet. So it's just what people showcase to the, to the world. But then most boxers, when you meet them in person, like they're really nice, really kind. Um, always give you the time of day, which which I think is a bit different for for other sports. Other sports, I don't I don't know if it's cultural, but I've always noticed when I've gone to a Commonwealth Games or Olympics, some other sports they don't really give you the time of the day and stuff like that. But I've always found with boxers they do. Where do you think the future of boxing is? Like in this country, obviously, like you said, Cambos has probably put it on the map a bit more, you know, and Tim Zoo coming up. I mean, where do you where do you see it going with all like the different I think and this is just from an outsider's perspective, I think a lot of people get fucked up with the belts. Like oh, that, that shit confuses too, yes, the too many. Fuck it's out just of like it, yeah, it confuses the shit out of everyone. But like where do you think boxing's going as a sport? I feel like it's definitely having a bit of a rebirth right now. There was um there was a few years when the UFC come in and, and mixed martial arts come in, where well, I was like a little bit concerned. I, I felt like that was competing with, with boxing a fair bit and views and stuff like that. Boxing still surpasses that like well and truly. Um, it's got more money in it. I actually feel sorry for the UFC fighters. They don't get paid nearly enough for what they're doing. Um, yeah, and the UFC really, and Dana White really need to answer some questions there. Um, but yeah, I, I feel boxing's in a really good place. And I think it's actually because of people like um, Jake and Logan Paul, um, KSI, whatever his name is, Paul Gallen, yeah. um, Sonny Bill Williams. It's like, it's, and people like Gypsy King, like there's personalities right now in the sport. And I think 
that's what makes it a bit more entertaining. And the reality is it's a business. It's entertainment. Um, yes, of course, it's a sport. But the Olympics, the amateur system, that's a sport. Professional boxing is a business. It's a business. Yeah. It's entertainment. It's for crowd pleasure. You black gladiators, that's what you are. And everyone's sitting there cheering on the side. And, and the more people there, the more people that are engaged, the best, better personalities you have in the sport, the better the sport goes. Just a side story before we get into some fan questions. We had Mark Hunt on. <laughs> Speaking of the UFC fans. Obviously, like, we are a mental health podcast, but a lot, like, we do talk about other things in mental health. And in fact, I think a lot of our episodes aren't mental health related, but we go into sort of the stories that people come on with. And we had Mark Hunt on, and we started talking, and it was good, it was going well. He was and on a train, mind you, but it was He was on well. a train, <laughs> and then he just, like, the last 20 minutes, he just, like, spoke to us about fighter pay. And he thought we were like a UFC podcast. And Paddy and I were just there laughing our heads he off. He was ripping, he was ripping White, into White. Dana White for like 20 minutes. And this was when, I think, he, I don't know if he, the lawsuit, I don't know where the lawsuits are. I'm not sure. This but just a mid, mid lawsuits, but yeah. Side story, it was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And he just ends up, and at five minutes to go, he goes, you boys are doing such good things for UFC fighters. <laughs> You're going to get us paid away. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. But he was but we're about it, yeah. He was going. Like, he wasn't holding back at all. I think, yeah, I think he thought we were like this UFC platform. I don't know. I don't know. I don't but know. That whole thing, <laughs> that whole thing, though, like when they put, who'd they put him within? Les, they put Brock Lesnar yeah. in and they didn't put him in the pool. No, they put him in the testing pool. There was one part where he said it wasn't Lesnar, it was another fighter, and they said, you got you got to fight him, Mark. I said, I'll fight him as long as the contract says um, if he gets caught for steroids. He doesn't get paid and the win doesn't count. He goes, that's my only turns because the guy had been done for steroids before. Mm. And apparently Dana White said, either fight him or you're not going to be able to feed your family. Oh. And he was like, man, I'll fucking fight him. Just put in the contract because he's been done before. And so there was just, he had some fair points. He did. He just put them across in a funny manner. It was just <laughs> very roundabout yeah. manner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we do have a, a couple fan questions. As we mentioned, the first one was from yourself. I would love to know the answer. Is it true Harry Garside has three nipples? No. Is that- <laughs> I had to write something. <laughs> uh, but no, I wish. <laughs> All right. So th- we- we've got a few serious ones. How do you not get distracted when there's temptations around? Obviously, we just spoke about partying and drugs and mm. things like that. That's a good question. I think being real conscious about what you're digesting, who you're surrounding yourself with, um, who you follow on social media and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that, that, that's massive when you're, when you're following a lot of things that I always find those people on Instagram, like since the Olympics, I've had a lot more people love me, but then also there's a few people who don't like you and I wear a skirt and they get quite offended by it for some reason, but, and they will trash you and, and, but then you know, I look at their profile and they've got, you mean let's say a hundred followers, but they follow three thousand people. I'm like, that's not that's not great. The amount of stuff that you're digesting in a day, it's almost like they're trying to to hurt themselves. Yeah. They're trying to see something that they're not happy with, and just being really conscious about what you're digesting online. Are you digesting things that make you happy, or are you digesting things that kind of get you conflicted and make you sort of heated up? And um, I follow like mates, family, boxing pages. Um, stuff that makes me feel good, dogs, like stuff that really makes me feel good. I'm really conscious about what I see, a lot of stuff about success and stuff like that. And I think that's super important for mental clarity. Another one, and we did uh, briefly speak on this earlier. What do you think the percentage of mental 
side of things compared to physical. And I, I say this as well because I, a few days ago you posted on your story in regards to you doing a run and you, you noted down every thought you had along that run. At one kilometer, it was, you know, you haven't run in a while, just take it easy or you might get sick. Ended up running, pushing through all those barriers. What percentage would you say is mental to physical? Oh, that's a great question. I feel I feel like it's potentially 85, 90%. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone can, not anyone, but most most able-bodied humans can, can run. And yeah. it's just what stops them um, either starting or what stops them on the run is what's between their ears. Um, so, yeah, I think... Of course, absolutely. Some people are gifted with some attributes and stuff like that, physical gifts, whether they have concrete hands, Roberto Duran, or whether they you know, have longer arms or quick, fast twitch muscles. But the biggest thing that separates people is is what's what's between their ears. And last one is your dream stadium to fight at. Oh, it has to be MGM. Oh, not MGM. Sorry, it has to be Madison Square for yeah. sure. Um, just more so because the history there. But then also, like, imagine packing out an MCG. <laughs> I'm from Melbourne. Imagine that. It's yeah, like, that would be huge. It'd be unbelievable. Like that's that would be a massive goal because I don't know if it's ever been done. So, um, yeah, it'd be unbelievable to to you know become unified champion, then fighting like a big name at the MCG, getting eighty, ninety, hundred thousand people there. Yeah. That would be amazing. Final words and a bit of advice for someone struggling to truly be themselves, what would you say? I feel separate yourself a little bit from, like don't fully neglect yourself from your friends, but I think separate yourself from your environment that you're in because I always notice, even still now, like I've moved my whole life from Melbourne to Sydney, but when I go back to, to Lillardale, 3140, when I go back there and I'm with the boys that I grew up with, there's some things that I'm saying, there's some things that I'm doing, I'm like, this is it doesn't feel like me but it, it's you are shaped so hard by by your community and by your environment and as i said people you love and adore your friends that you've grown up with don't fully remove yourself from their life they're probably good people and you probably love them but definitely find space for yourself find space where you can actually try and discover who you are um you mean know, i think there's many books that i've read but i think a lot of successful people will spend minimum one weekend or one week by themselves a year and I think that's so valuable. Just go somewhere secluded. Um, what are you thinking in those moments? What are you doing? What do you actually like? Um, that's where you discover it. You don't discover it when you're getting manipulated or influenced by other people. Mate, we'd like to just say thank you. It's been an absolute honor to speak to you. I mean, we've followed you closely over you. Like you said, the Commonwealth Games and then the Olympics and just to see what you're doing on this. You know, we speak about social media. It can be a real negative thing, but you're using it as a very positive platform. And yeah, it's, it's been an absolute honor. We wish you all the best and um, we'll see you. We'll be in the grandstand of the MCG when you're fighting in the middle, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me on. Turn up the talk podcast. Tackling mental health together.